Hi, I'm your host, Amy Frina. For over 30 years, Care Credit has been enabling people just like you to get the care, procedure, or surgery they want or need when they want it. Behind the thousands of amazing testimonials we receive from our cardholders are the dedicated providers and healthcare workers who make these stories possible. In this series, we are giving you exclusive access to these well-respected and renowned care experts who are all part of our Care Credit Network and asking them to share the information and answers you need to make informed decisions about your health, wellness, and personal care. We are talking about one of the most common cosmetic plastic surgery procedures performed, facelifts. Joining us to provide his expert insight is Dr. Josh Waltzman. Dr. Waltzman is a board-certified plastic surgeon who graduated magna cum laude from USC and then attended the University of California, Irvine School of Medicine. Following his residency, Dr. Waltzman acquired additional subspecialty training by completing an advanced aesthetic surgery fellowship at the internationally renowned Cleveland Clinic, where he fine-tuned his surgical skills in cosmetic surgery of the face, breast, and body, with an emphasis on facial rejuvenation. Hey, I'm Amy, and we are joining you live in studio today with Dr. Waltzman, who's going to tell us a little bit about facelifts. How are you today? Very good. How are you? I'm great. So we're just going to break the ice a little bit here. Tell us about your journey to cosmetic surgery. So that started way back when, I think, even into to medical school when I decided to become a plastic surgeon. Um, the kind of first thing that drew me to plastic surgery was really the variety of procedures that we treat as plastic surgeons. Mm -hmm. um, from purely cosmetic situations to reconstructive, to trauma, um, to burns, hand surgery. There was so much diversity, right. which is what initially attracted me. Okay. Um, as I kind of made my journey through all of that training, um, I found that there was a particular appeal through cosmetic surgery uh, to treat patients, make them happy, um, provide positive changes in their lives at the same time. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure you're a busy man, but when you're not working, what are your hobbies? Oh, I have three little girls, so they, okay. they keep me busy You're most busy. of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, uh, I enjoy music. Okay. That's my other major hobby outside of medicine is music um, and play a variety of instruments. I was going to ask you, listening or playing, what instrument do you play? Uh, my main instruments in the past have been piano and clarinet, Wonderful. but I recently picked up bass guitar, and that's cool. become like my more recent kind of passion in music. I, fun. Yeah. Very cool. So why don't you tell us a little bit about one of your most interesting cases, something that kind of maybe stands out from the rest. Uh, as far as facelifts go or just in, in, in cosmetic surgery? Yeah. Um, I think the, one of the more interesting surgeries uh, that, I, that I do as a plastic surgeon is some of these like total body transformations. Right. Um, in, in particular uh, is um, women who have finished childbearing years mm -hmm. and they've had the effects of pregnancy. I really enjoy these total kind of makeovers or the mommy makeovers as it's popularly known as. Mm -hmm. um, but kind of going through uh, the whole journey with a patient, talking about different aspects of their body that they want to improve, whether it's the breast, the abdomen, right. different sculpting procedures, um, and just trying to kind of seeing that whole transformation as they go pre-op to immediately post-op and mm -hmm. they're uncomfortable for a little while and we're going to get them through the process and then seeing them back at their subsequent follow-ups right. and seeing how they just trying to transform as a whole person as a patient is really right. amazing to watch. So kind of piggybacking on that, what is the most rewarding part of your job? I think it's it's seeing the the change in patients, their their confidence level, just right. the way they hold themselves when they come in the office, mm -hmm. the just the way they talk to us, to my staff. Um, you can see it in their face that they just right. feel better about the choices they've made, and it's really satisfying to provide that for somebody. I can only imagine, Dr. Waltzman. Tell us a little bit about your academic background. 
Sure. So I am a California boy. Mm -hmm. um, I went to USC for undergrad okay. here in Los Angeles, and then I just drove down the freeway to UC Irvine mm -hmm. for medical school. Okay. While I was in medical school, I also decided to do a dual degree program, and I got my master's in business administration at the same time. Mm -hmm. Then I decided to go as far possible in the entire country for residency training in plastic surgery, and I went to the University of Rochester in upstate <laughs> New York. Okay. Um, so it was a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. um, there was snow. Yeah. Uh, Actually, it's different in other parts of the world. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, and so that was a fantastic experience. And then after residency, I decided to pursue further cosmetic training, and I did a uh, aesthetic fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. Um, and that was for a year after my residency training, at which point I then came back to California to open up my practice. Where there is no snow. There is no snow. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was good. Um, and I'm, I'm now an active member of the American Society for Plastic Surgeons, the Aesthetic Society, um, California Society of Plastic Surgeons. Uh, so I still stay pretty involved with things. I'd say so. Well done. We're going to go right into some questions um, about facelifts. So why don't you just start and tell us a little bit about what it is and about the procedure. Sure. So a facelift um, is a, a generalized term. Okay. Um, there's different aspects that can go into that, whether a patient's trying to just rejuvenate their, their cheeks, mm -hmm. so kind of from the jaw from the jawbone up, okay. or if their concerns are more from the jawline down into the neck, okay. we can isolate those into either a cheek lifting procedure or a neck lifting procedure by itself, or we can combine that into one, which is what I call a lower facelift. And different surgeons may have different terminology, but I kind of refer to it as a lower facelift once we're kind of treating from the, the cheekbones on down to the bottom of the neck. Gotcha. What makes someone a good candidate for this? I think the best, the best candidates for a facelift procedure are um, men or women who are already experiencing some, experiencing some signs of facial aging. And what that means is that they're seeing some of the nasolabial fold or the, the lines, the, the frown lines here. Mm -hmm. um, they're seeing some early jowling with some fullness behind the, uh, behind the uh, chin area. Okay. They may be seeing some laxity in the neck or some um, muscle banding. And of course, they have to be uh, otherwise healthy, right. non-smokers, and otherwise a good candidate for a surgical procedure such as this. What about mentally? Mentally, this is a procedure, honestly, that most patients have thought about for several years mm -hmm. before they actually either schedule a consultation or pull the trigger to do a procedure like this. Mm -hmm. Facelifting is very different uh, in, in my experience than some other procedures where a patient may have thought about it for maybe a couple months mm -hmm. and then decide to have it done. Mm -hmm. I find my facelift patients have really thought about this for several years um, and so it's a slower process. Right. It's a bigger decision. It's their face. It's visible all the time. Right. Um, patients are very concerned about still looking like themselves um, after seeing things in the, in the media or whatnot where they can be turned off to potentially having a facelift. Right. Um, and so there's a lot more hand-holding and emotional coaching that I think goes into a facelift than some other imagine. procedures. Yeah, I bet. What is like a typical average ballpark cost of a facelift? So depending on kind of what's done, and, and that could be a variety of whether we do some fat grafting or liposuction or other skin tightening procedures in, in conjunction with the facelift, okay. but a general ballpark is somewhere between twelve dollars and $15,000 um, that, that mostly includes anesthesia and the OR costs and everything kind of rolled into one. Gotcha. If someone out there is watching or listening that maybe wants this procedure but doesn't have the money set aside, are there payment options available for them? We definitely have pay payment plan options. Mm -hmm. um, Care Credit uh -huh. uh, being a great partner for us in our office that we've used from day one okay. um, and helping our patients finance surgeries has been an excellent, excellent adjunct and help for our practice. Happy to hear that. So when a patient is looking for their cosmetic surgeon, what advice do you have for them? 
I think it's important that patients find someone that they can relate to. Okay. Um, I think reputation is great. It obviously means that that person is well-respected in the community, mm -hmm. but it's not everything. I, I think right. um, patients really need to find a surgeon that they feel comfortable with mm -hmm. because, remember, it's not only the pre-op and the consult initially. It's all the follow-up for months or even years afterwards right. that you're going to have to work with that surgeon and you, if you don't feel comfortable from day one, it's not going to all of a sudden get better after the surgery when you're right. you know, recovering and need more attention even. Right. So I think that initial bond is really important. Um, I think price is important, mm -hmm. but I always caution patients not to just go with the least expensive quote that they get from a surgeon because that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be getting the best deal in the end. Right. What are some questions that a patient should ask during their initial consultation? Um, as far as facelifts go, I think asking the surgeon about their their approach to facelifting. What are their okay. goals? Um, what are you trying to provide for me? I think seeing some before and after pictures can be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, with that caveat, I think that... Uh, you know, everyone is different. So seeing before and afters of other people is helpful just to know that the surgeon understands how to perform the operation, mm -hmm. but to see a result on another patient doesn't exactly let you know how you're going to look. Right. Um, so asking about number of operations performed, is this something that the surgeon does once every other year mm -hmm. or is it something they're doing on a monthly basis? That's a very different type of situation. Gotcha. Um, and then potentially even um, talking to prior patients. Oftentimes someone will say, I'd like to do this, but is there a prior patient yours that I could ask some questions to? And we provide them a list of people that are happy to talk to them. That's wonderful. That's really great. Uh, tell me about the risks and complications associated with a facelift. So the main thing people are oftentimes concerned about with facelift are the scars. Right. Um, because it's, it's not insignificant, but they're well hidden. Mm -hmm. So the scars for a typical facelift go kind of in front of the ear, loop mm -hmm. up behind, and come down into the hairline. Um, yes, there are scars. Scars fade with time, but they're always there. Right. Um, and so I think setting those proper expectations about scar management and the way we conceal scars to fit in the hairline and go around the ear and conceal them the best way possible is very important. Now, true risks of facelift surgery. Um, we talk about loss of sensation and then right. potential nerve damage. That's what most patients come asking me about. Mm -hmm. um, I tell every patient that yes, there will be some numbness along your cheeks and along your neck, 100% guaranteed right after surgery. Okay. Just so they know that. Right. And that's because we're cutting those fine little nerves right under the skin surface when we do a facelift. Mm. And with time, it comes back. I tell them, give it four weeks, give it six weeks, potentially even longer, and you will see that the vast majority, if not everything, comes back to full sensation. Good to know. Related to that is damage to nerves that actually control the motions of your face. And this mm -hmm. is a more serious potential complication of facelift surgery. And unfortunately, there's a very small percentage of patients who do have that, um, that type of permanent injury, mm -hmm. albeit very un a very unusual type of complication. Right. Um, and really, we talk about ways to minimize that. So we talk about knowledge of anatomy mm -hmm. and knowing where these nerves run. And we avoid certain areas or we dissect a certain way around certain parts of the face to minimize the chance that we're going to damage one of those nerves. Gotcha. Is there something the patient can do at home to prepare themselves for this type of surgery? Number one would be no smoking. Okay. Um, there can be disastrous complications with an active smoker doing extensive facelift surgery, wow, okay. um, specifically with having problems with healing the incisions around the ear. Oh. Um, the complications can be very devastating. So number one is they need to be smoke-free for a minimum of four to six weeks before I will consider operating on someone like that. Okay. Um, other things to prepare is really a healthy diet, healthy living. Mm -hmm. They need to have good protein intake. 
Um, they need to be physically active. Um, they need to be at a uh, appropriate weight. Mm -hmm. um, all those things will make their, their recovery easier, lower their risk with anesthesia, and, and just give them a better outcome overall. Gotcha. Can you kind of explain the difference between a mini and a standard facelift? Sure. So this is something that a lot of patients ask me about. Mm -hmm. So what I tell them is that a, a, quote, mini facelift is really a procedure that's designed to stay in front of the ear. Okay. So the scar really goes in the, in the sideburn, down the front of the ear, and it might hook around a little bit on the bottom. That procedure is not going to be as powerful, per se, as a, quote, full facelift or a lower facelift. Mm -hmm. It does not address the neck in the same fashion. Gotcha. It's a good procedure for someone that has some early signs of aging, maybe a little bit of jowling, some looseness in the side of the face. Um, and it, it can do very nice things. However, it is not as powerful as doing a complete lower facelift with work on the deeper tissues, both in the neck and in the cheek. Okay. Okay. So... Uh, Kind of in general, how is the procedure performed? Okay. I'm sure it's not very simple to explain, but... No, we'll break it down. <laughs> break it down. Uh, so I do all of my full facelifts under uh, general anesthesia, which okay. I feel is the safest for the patient in my hands. Okay. Um, and so this is done at a, an accredited surgery center at an outpatient setting. Okay. Um, our patients have their own board-certified anesthesiologist at their bedside the entire procedure. Perfect. Um, and so the patient's put to sleep. Uh, there is a, a, a breathing tube that's inserted in the beginning of the case. Mm -hmm. And then really the facelift procedure, it's, it's kind of in two phases. First is making a, a flap of skin, of, of just the skin and what's called the subcutaneous tissue, which is a layer just beneath the skin. Mm -hmm. That's the first part that's, that's dissected. The next part that's treated and dissected is this layer called the SMAS. Um, and now this is a layer that actually is part of our neck muscle okay. that fans up onto our face, and we have to tighten and treat that SMAS layer in addition to help tighten the deeper structures of the face. Got if it. we only pull on the skin, yeah, it'll look great for a few months, but after that, skin stretches. Hmm. So we have to treat the deeper structures. Okay. Um, and so we treat the deeper structures, we tighten those or plicate them in some way or tighten them, and then we can redrape the skin under very, very, very minimal tension to give us the best appearing scars and remove whatever skin is excess at that point. That's the facelift portion. Okay. The neck, not to get too, too <laughs> no, involved. No, we want to know. Uh, the, the neck portion can also be a multi-step procedure. Okay. So the neck is, is accessed through a tiny little incision under the chin here. Mm -hmm. It's about two to three centimeters long. And through that, I'm able to actually go in and sculpt and dissect out fat beneath the chin under direct visualization, mm -hmm. and then also dissect out what are called the platysma muscles, which are those bands that we get in the center of our neck, mm -hmm. and t tighten those muscles with sutures to create a more youthful neck contour. Wow. That's a lot. That's kind of the, <laughs> that the was overview the, the, version. The gist. Yes. What can the patients expect to experience during recovery? Recovery is surprisingly easy after a facelift. Okay. Most patients think this is a painful procedure. They're going to be bed bound mm -hmm. for a while. It's just not the case. Okay. I give every patient a prescription for some pain meds, but I can't tell you the last time that a patient actually took it. Wow. Uh, most all of my patients just take a couple Tylenol maybe that night mm -hmm. and maybe one or two the next day. And that's about it. They wow. say that they, yes, they do feel tight. Their neck can feel tight, but mm -hmm. I tell them not to do extreme motion. Right. So from a pain standpoint, it's just not a factor. In terms of other recovery, I tell them they need to really relax for about two weeks. Okay. Two weeks of kind of just hanging around. They can walk in front of the house. They can walk around the house. But it's not the time to clean out the third bedroom. Right. It's not the time to start doing <laughs> housework. Um, they shouldn't be doing heavy lifting. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, I tell them not to even um, bring their head below the level of their heart, which would cause blood to rush to their head. Okay. We want to avoid all of that. Um, and so it really is quite a, an easy recovery for most all patients. Hmm. Um, 
Yes, there's some sutures to remove in the office, okay. but I see my patients back at regular intervals the first couple of weeks to help them through that process, and it, it really is quite easy. That was actually going to be my next question. Tell us about the follow-up appointments. How many? How often? So I see every single patient back the next morning after a facelift. Okay. 8 o'clock in the morning, they're in my office. I'm checking their drains. I'm checking their incisions. I'm checking everything to make sure that it's pristine. Gotcha. Um, as long as everything is fine there, then I see them back at about day four or five, start removing some of the stitches, and then I see them back at the one-week mark just two days later to remove the remainder of the stitches. Gotcha. Usually after that, that seven-day appointment, all the stitches are out. There's nothing else more to remove. Mm -hmm. um, also, the drains have come out by that point as well for most all patients. Okay. And then I see them back at the one-month mark, the three-month mark, a six-month, mm -hmm. a one-year, and then as often as needed. Um, to help make sure they're healing up well. Wow, that's great. So uh, you kind of said about two weeks of taking it easy, but how about going back to work, assuming you're not you know, doing construction or something? Right, exactly. So I tell patients they need two weeks dedicated social downtime. Okay. The, these two weeks of social downtime, it, it means don't, go to, don't have any weddings planned, don't have any graduation <laughs> dinners, nothing right. planned. Just okay. make sure your social calendar is cleared for two weeks. That's what I need. After two weeks, I tell my patients that they're socially acceptable or passable, uh -huh. meaning that, so they say, what does that mean? I say, well, you should be able to walk down the grocery aisle and no one does a double take. And for oh. most of them, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense to most people. Uh -huh. um, maybe you need a little bit of cover-up or concealer. Maybe there's a little bruise at the bottom of the neck that's still healing. Um, but really, you should be quite passable. In terms of real recovery and being fully kind of, what, yes. what, do, I, what do I have? What am I working with? Mm -hmm. I'd say you need about three months. Gotcha. For little tiny things to settle, um, not noticeable to other people, but noticeable to me and the patient, I say three months. So what results should they experience kind of when in that timeline? So I think by weeks four to six, mm -hmm. the majority of the major swelling and bruising is completely gone. Okay. Um, sure, there's going to be little areas that are still kind of swollen, maybe around the eyes or in parts of the neck, or in the, mm -hmm. especially in the center of the neck where some, mm -hmm. some more extensive dissection could be done. Um, but they should be pretty much back to their normal routine by that point. Uh, as far as results, I think then by three months, they're seeing little tiny subtleties starting to resolve. Okay. If we've done fat grafting in the cheeks at the same time, that can take a while for that bruising and swelling to resolve as well. So it, it, it is more of an extended recovery, but definitely people are out and about after two weeks doing things. Oh, I bet they got a brand new face. They yeah, show why up. not? <laughs> yeah. So who might not be the best candidate for a facelift? So like we mentioned, people that are not in good health, who have any heart conditions, okay. um, would not be a good candidate. We get pretty extensive medical workups and clearance for all of our facelift patients because mm -hmm. typically they are an older patient population mm -hmm. and um, we involve their primary care doctor in the clearance for all those patients anyway. Okay. Other patients that may not be good candidates, it really would be people with unrealistic expectations, I uh -huh. think, who either through showing me pictures of what they would like to look, how, how they would like to look postoperatively or motioning in the office, how they want this to be here. Um, I, I think... I'd like to let those patients know that they may not be getting the results they're looking for at the initial consultation. Um, and then patients sometimes that have had multiple procedures already mm. aren't necessarily the best candidates for additional procedures. If something isn't how they'd like it after three or four procedures already, maybe the fifth version of that is not going to be the most satisfying for them. So sometimes we have to talk about what's realistic and set those expectations early on. Is it common for people to have multiple facelifts? Good question. So I think a, um, I think a well-done facelift should last about 10 to 12 years. Okay. Within that time, they're going to start seeing some, some recurrent jowling around the jawline. They're going to mm -hmm. see some um, laxity of the neck again. Mm -hmm. And I tell patients, look, we're not stopping the clock. Right. This, we're just turning it back. But as soon as you wake up from the surgery, the clock starts again. 
And so we're not stopping the aging process. We're merely kind of restoring skin and tissue to where it used to be. Mm-hmm. But you're going to continue to age, and you're going to come back in five years, at seven years, and ten years, and say you're noticing certain things, and that's okay, okay. because we're not stopping the clock, like I said. Right. Would that maybe be more of an example of the mini facelift if they wanted just a few things touched up later? Uh-huh. Potentially. That could, that could just be doing a mini facelift under maybe just a little local in the office, mm-hmm. um, depending on how much skin tightening they need. Um but it is, it is not uncommon to have someone come back for a secondary facelift 10 to 12 years after their initial facelift. I think I've done one or two tertiaries on some, some older, older people who uh-huh. really want to look good till the end. Um, but for the most part, most people have one, maybe two. Okay. Good to know. Thank yeah. you. How can a patient come in and kind of uh, explain their vision of what they want to look like? Is it through magazine photos or is it pulling the skin and showing you? So for facelift surgery, I think there, there's two things that are helpful. One is me actually walking the patient through during the exam, pushing on their skin, pushing on their fat, showing where it used to be and where it went with gravity. Mm-hmm. And that can oftentimes help a patient visualize how things may be afterwards. Almost 100% of these patients, 110% of these patients have already stood in front of their mirror at home going like this. Uh-huh. So they've already done that motion. In <laughs> fact, when I walk in and I say, how can we help you? If they go like this, I already know what procedure we're talking about because right. they've just shown me what has to happen. Uh-huh. Um, the other really helpful thing for facelift patients is bringing in a photo of themselves when Not they were younger. Not someone else. Not someone else. I don't care about someone else for this surgery. Okay. I care about them. Okay. If they can bring me a picture from their early 30s, their mm-hmm. late 20s, whatever it may be, showing me what their neckline was like, how strong their jawline mm-hmm. was, that is much more helpful to know. Did they have full cheeks ever? Maybe right. they want full cheeks now, but maybe that was never them. Um, or maybe they never really had a strong chin. Maybe it was always kind of weak and depressed back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those things are, are really important uh, for, for them to bring to me, but also to kind of have in that discussion of what are we trying to get back to and what's realistic now. Wonderful. What's your typical patient, male, female, age? I think the typical facelift patient is probably a female in their 50s and on. Okay. In, in general terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do see more females than males. Okay. Not to say that men don't have facelifts. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, they might just be looking for different things. Okay. Uh, one of the things that's different between men and women is the hairline. A lot of men right. that I see have short hair, and so there's a bigger concern of where is the scar going to be and how prominent is that scar going to be. Gotcha. For some men, it's a good trade. And w- through talking about how we conceal scars, even if they have short hair, they're willing to undergo that. And typically, it's the area kind of in the back here mm-hmm. behind the ear where men aren't able to grow their hair long enough to conceal that scar, at least during the healing phases. Once it's healed up, it's really hard to find. But Mm -hmm. initially, yeah, you're going to see an incision there. Okay. Um, The other thing that men have to consider before a facelift is their beard growth. And if they wear their sideburns lower down or if they don't have any sideburns at all, or where, and also where their beard starts on their face. Mm. If there's a lot of space between their ear and where their beard starts, there is more room to pull back on before you end up putting their beard inside of their ear. <laughs> so these are all kind of thoughts for men that you have to take into consideration that may not be the same um, for female patients. What about like on the beard here? Because you mentioned an incision, incision in the bottom. Yeah, the incision on the bottom universally heals exceptionally well. Hmm. Um, it goes just behind kind of the, the natural chin crease line. Mm-hmm. And given the size and the location and with the material closure, it just really fades away to, to not much. It's there if you look, right. but it just doesn't ever come up really. Hmm. Wonderful. So if you decide you want a facelift, what is the difference between going to a cosmetic surgeon versus a plastic surgeon? The terms plastic surgeon and cosmetic surgeon have undergone a lot of scrutiny, mm-hmm. like in the last maybe five, five years or so. Okay. Um, plastic surgeons who have went through a residency 
fellow, our fellowship program that's accredited by the American Board of Medical Specialties um, have a very rigor rigorous and standardized training that's the minimum of six years now for plastic surgery plus fellowship beyond that. Wow. Um, that person has been trained in all aspects of plastic and reconstructive surgery, including cosmetic surgery. Mm. Cosmetic surgery, while, while yes, we're trying to make someone look cosmetically acceptable or aesthetic surgery, if you will, um, all of plastic surgery has that goal. We mm -hmm. never try to do a reconstructive procedure but not make the patient look good in the end. Right. So it's still those th same concepts that are applied throughout everything that we do as plastic surgeons to patients that are having cosmetic or aesthetic surgery. Okay. Um, a cosmetic surgeon, as it's known now, is a is a, a surgeon who or su surgeon or physician who is has not went through a plastic and reconstructive surgery residency in the United States. Um, there are fellowship opportunities open to other providers of medicine, other physicians, to complete a one year fellowship in cosmetic surgery. Wow. There is much less standardization mm -hmm. um, of, of these fellowships and much less control. Um, the process to become a board-certified plastic surgeon is one of the rigorous of, of all the medical specialties mm -hmm. that requires um, a collection of all of our cases, photographic documentation, an oral board exam, a written board exam, um, and can't be completed for at least two years after you finish residency. Wow. To become board-certified in cosmetic surgery, there is not the same or equivalent process. And so it's while, while we do offer some of the same procedures, um, I think there's difference in the qualifications between the two specialties. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for shining some light on that. You're welcome. All right. Well, we're going to switch to a lightning round. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions okay. and you pick this or that. All right. You okay. ready? Cat or dog? Dog. All right. Hard top or convertible? Hard top. All right. Surf or ski? Ski. Golf or run? I wish golf. You, you like running? <laughs> I, I, let's go with golf. Okay, we'll go with golf. Night owl or morning bird? Early bird. Early bird. Okay, decaf or calf? Calf. And shop in-store or online? Online. Guilty. More so online. I know, it's easy. NBA or NFL? NBA. All right, well, thank you so much for your time and your insight. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We learned a lot about facelifts from one of the country's leading board-certified plastic surgeons. If you're considering a facelift, we hope we've provided the information that you need to decide if you want to take the next step and schedule a consultation. Remember, Care Credit is a leading national healthcare credit card that can enable you to get many of the surgeries, procedures, and treatments you want now and pay over time with everyday promotional financing on purchases of $200 or more. Care Credit can also be used to pay for co-pays, co-insurance, deductibles, and your health and wellness needs. Care Credit is accepted at hundreds of thousands of locations nationwide to pay for care whenever you need and want it. If you are interested in applying for a Care Credit credit card or would like to find a provider in your area who accepts Care Credit, visit us at carecredit.com. And if you found this information valuable, please leave us a five-star review on the App Store and a thumbs up and share it with a friend. I'm Amy Frina with Care Credit, and I will see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Care Experts with Care Credit. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with friends and family. And stay tuned for new episodes every week.
Purchases with the Care Credit credit card are subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See carecredit.com for details. This content is subject to change without notice and offered for informational use only. You are urged to consult with your individual medical providers with respect to the information presented. Synchrony and any of its affiliates, including Care Credit, collectively Synchrony, makes no representations or warranties regarding this content and accepts no liability for any loss or harm arising from the use of the information provided. Your participation in this presentation constitutes your acceptance of these terms and conditions.